and welcome to episode 79 of the Lace Em Up podcast. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. If you thought the Preds were going away quietly, you thought wrong because they won game three. We have a series. What happens next, we'll discuss and we'll also debate a controversial offside call in game one that uh, some would argue was offside. Others, like me, probably wouldn't. And there are other people that are just thinking, um... Why are we spending all this time reviewing offsides if we're not going to make the right call? Uh, so we'll uh, talk about that. Also, we'll give our con smite predictions at this point in time. Uh, in the rapid fire, we also have a lot to talk about. It looks like Jakob Markstrom will eventually be the starter in Vancouver. Should Ryan Miller still be on the team? Should they bring him as a backup if Markstrom's going to be the guy? Me and Brett will talk about that. And also, we have a potential doppelganger of Sam Bennett. Someone couldn't do a pull-up at the NHL Draft Combine. We'll tell you who. As well, the Vegas Golden Knights slowly starting to put their team together. They have another signing. And uh, they were also in talk with the Chicago Blackhawks about a potential deal. Uh, so we'll talk about that as well. Uh, but first and foremost, shout-outs to all the players past and present who have worn number 79 in the NHL. Um... One of the names that come to mind, obviously, is Alexi Yashin, most notable for giving the Ottawa Senators Zdeno Chera and Jason Spezza. Yep. Andre Markov also wore that number with Montreal. Uh, Adam Cracknell of the uh, St. Louis Blues from 2011 to 2014 wore that number, as did Dylan Simpson with the Oilers this year. Uh, Michael Furland wears number 79 with the Calgary Flames. Mike Duco wore that number with Vancouver in 2012. Jared Palmer with Minnesota in 2012. Vlad Vutek with the Lightning in 98. I probably butchered that name. My apologies. And Dave Warsawski with the Bruins in 2014 and 2015. Uh, the reason I named all those players is because those are the only guys that wore this jersey number. So to all of them, this podcast is for you. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. Yeah, I guess there aren't too many 79s in the world, in the NHL world. Um, Interesting. There's one that we all love in Ottawa, though, for one particular reason, as I mentioned. Just because he got traded away, yeah. Yeah. Um... Yeah, it's like a, it's like Kessel for Bruins fans, you know. You thank you Kessel, yeah. um, yeah, for all. Thank also, you, Mike Milbury, for signing <laughs> off on that too. Yeah, yeah. Um, although I guess it's it's less it has a less of an effect now that Sagan and Hamilton are out too. So it's, not, yeah. it's no longer thank you Kessel, but um, the let's go to our Stanley Cup Finals. The two teams that are in the uh, are still in the uh, the run. Um, the uh, Penguins and the Predators. Uh, so I'm just going to recap all three games quickly, and then we can talk about all the other stuff afterwards. Uh, so uh, game one was on uh, Tuesday. Oh, no, it was Monday, right? Was Monday. Uh, yeah, it was Monday, right. Um, the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, so the first period... Um, I guess we can talk about this now. The uh, it was like about like a minute in, 
Um, the uh, there was a uh, PK Subban looked like it w- he got a goal. Um, then they found out that they uh, it wasn't you know. Then it, then they found out that it was offsides. I mean, it was kind of crazy though because when they showed the video, it still looked inconclusive. Uh, it looked like Forsberg like got the puck, but his uh, one of his skates was behind the blue line, so it didn't like you could make a case that it wasn't offsides, but they called it offsides anyways. Um, I think it was also like thirty seconds afterwards they scored, so it didn't even have an effect on them. Um, it was just frustrating, but it like ruined the whole dynamic of the entire game, really, just because mm-hmm. of momentum and whatnot. Um, and so, <laughs> and lo and behold, the Penguins got three goals in that first period: uh, Malkin, Shiri, and Bonino got thir- three three goals there. Um, and then in the second period. Um, the Predators sort of chip away. They get one goal. Um, the the Peng, the big thing in that period was that uh, the Penguins got zero shots in the second period, um, and they uh, yeah, uh, it was yeah, kind of crazy. The first time, by the way, the first time in the Stanley Cup Finals era since they started keeping track of shots on goal, yep. has a team been held shotless in a period? Um, and then in the third period, the uh, Predators. They continue to tie the game, so it's 3-3. And then the first shot of the third period for the Penguins is a goal uh, for some reason. Uh, Jake Gensel, um, and then Nick Benino gets an empty netter goal. Um, so it's, it ended up being 5-3. Uh, Pecorine uh, had uh, 11 shots on him, and four of them went in. Uh, not, as great, uh, not a great performance for him. Um, which is interesting considering how good he has been in the playoffs so far. Uh, the second, now, you, you, you look, you look at, um, you look at him. historically um, the Penguins in Game Ones, um, and and you look at the Preds in Game Ones through three rounds. Uh, the Preds were three and zero, eighty eight percent successful when it comes to killing penalties in Game Ones. Perfect seven. Um, uh, they've been over 88% heading into this series, sorry, when it comes to killing penalties. Seven for seven in game one scenarios. Uh, they had scored the first goal in all three series openers, so we'll talk about the Forsberg offside in a minute because yep. that goal was huge for them, um, for Pittsburgh anyways. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and the Pens, their, their power play in these playoffs was 25% heading in, one for 10 in game one scenarios. And in all three... Of those games, they gave up 30-plus shots. They were outshot in all of them. And in those three games in the first period, they had 15 total shots. So that's an average of five shots on goal in the first period of game one. Yep. And in this game, they had eight in the first, but they had four the, the rest of the way. So if Nashville wanted to really get a leg up on the Penguins, this was the best time to do it. Yep. And for whatever reason, maybe it's their playoff experience um, in the in the Stanley Cup Finals, but the Penguins somehow snatched vic, uh, def, um, victory from the jaws of defeat because that was a game Nashville really, in my opinion, deserved to win. They deserved a better fate there. Yep. And 
Pittsburgh was just able to sneak out a win. Yeah, that was one of those games where the Predators should have won, but they didn't. Yeah. Um, and this yeah. is why the Penguins are good, you know. There's a reason why they've made the Stanley Cup Finals two years in a row. Um, and, you know, might win the Stanley, you know, might repeat again. So, um, yeah, it's, but, uh, the Predators should have won that game, but, um, it's just, uh, I think a lot of those goals too, like Pecorine should have had. Um, so that was the more frustrating mm-hmm. part. Um, it's just Pecorine went back to what he was in the regular season instead of what he has been in the last three rounds. Um, so that was more annoying. I think, um, yeah, I guess we can talk about the offsides after game two, because there's another offside thing there. Yeah. Um, uh, so then, let's talk about game two. Uh, the, uh, so it, it was a little closer, it was 1-1 after the first period, Jake Gensel gets a goal, Aberg gets another one, um, for the Predators. Uh, second period, there was nothing. Um, and then in the third period, uh, it was kind of like an onslaught. The Penguins, uh, Jake Gensel, who else, uh, gets uh, gets a goal to start things off. And then, like, three minutes later, uh, Scott Wilson and Evgeny Malkin get a goal, too. Um, and then, like, a little bit after that Malkin goal, um, there was, I think, who was it? Was it Kessel? I think it was, um, I forget who it was, but... Uh, they, um, uh, uh, it was like, um, but there was an offsides penalty, um, that, um, for the Penguins, um, and, uh, it was like way off, um, but at the same time, just like the first one, it was, uh, it was like, uh, it was like th- 30 seconds uh, before the goal was scored kind of mm-hmm. thing. So it didn't really have an effect. Um, for me, so uh, just to finish this off, the Penguins did win uh, 4-1. Um, I know that uh, UC Saros uh, was in net for like like half of the uh, third period. Um, and then there was talks if Pecorine was going to start the next game or not. Um but, uh, so, uh, but we can talk about the offsides first. Um, the, uh, the thing that's, it's like, I'm okay with this ruling or challenging the offsides. Cause I get that, like, you know, if you're going to have like offsides, you know, it's not great. But at the same time, the fact that like, like an offside, like that first offside game in game one, that didn't really have an effect on the game, and that was so inconclusive that you couldn't really tell that it was offsides mm-hmm. or not. And so, it, at this point, it's like, why do we even do these challenges, and why do we even call it off if it's it doesn't didn't have a real effect on the game? Like, I get it if you if they score like a second or two seconds right after they were offsides, and yeah, of course then you should call it off. But if it's, like, 30 seconds, there should be, like, a penalty. Like, there should you shouldn't be able to challenge that. Um, so, I don't know. Uh, I think you have a you have a, an opinion on this, probably. Well, yeah, the, the <laughs> fact that it changed the momentum is obviously why we're talking about it. Like, yep. it, Nashville that goes too. up one nothing on that goal. Instead, they're down 3 nothing. But 
Um, according to the NHL rulebook, first of all, offside calls will be determined by the position of the player's skates. And this is when both skates, quote, are completely over the leading edge of the blue line involved in the play. So Forsberg's back skate is dangerously close. But I keep hearing all the time it has to be conclusive to overturn the play. Close does not cut it in this case. You have to have conclusive, indisputable evidence. And if you don't have it, the call on the ice stands. The ref said it was a good goal prior to review. This goal should have counted. Now, to be fair, this rule is so black and white. There's so many moving parts to an offside call. You can't possibly checkmark all of them on the spot when it comes to close plays like this. And we keep seeing plays that are sometimes too close for technology to call. And I'm fine with the process. But I just want to see the right call made on the ice. Yeah. And the fact is, in this particular instance, I really don't think it was. Now, NHL's Dan Rosen was asked if any uh, changes can be made to the location of the skate on the ice. And he provided an interesting response. Here it is. Quote, NHL GMs have to make the recommendation for any rule change. They discussed this in March and it went nowhere. It was about changing the language of the offside to allow for a player to be onside as long as one of his skates has broken the vertical plane of the blue line, regardless if it's in contact with the ice. The GMs opted against making any changes for two reasons. First, they'd feel it would still require the refs to make a determination if the skate was in the if the skate was in the air, sorry, which can be as subjective as determining if the skate was on the ice. They also feel it could encourage a player to lift his skate into the air which is discouraged because of player safety. One other idea was brought up in a chat I was having with a couple of media members. We talked about extending the zone for offside to the width of the blue line instead of having to have the puck completely cross the blue line. That might take away from some of these close calls we're seeing, which result from a coach's challenge for a goal scored. So, again, like I said, many moving parts, but uh, they're still searching for a rock-solid solution, and... Um, I don't think we're ever going to see one. Offsides are, are a tricky play to call sometimes, yeah. and, and and we saw it right here. It was it was very, very close. But again, it all comes back to do you have conclusive evidence? If not, not call on the ice stands. Call on the ice didn't stand. It was overturned. Uh, I mean, if you're going to make rules, fine. But if, if all your rules are based on how conclusive a play is and you don't stick with the rules, then – what are rules for, you know? Right, right, Yeah, that's true. But, like, I feel like there is stuff, like, I get why they even have these challenges in the first place, because, you know, you don't want someone to, like, obviously be off sides. But at the same time, like, you know, like, especially that first play, that had no effect on the actual, um, like, that was, like, 30 seconds before the goal was scored. So um, it, it's just more like, that. did that have an effect on the goal being scored? Not really. You didn't, like, you know, Forsberg didn't have that much of an advantage by going over the line before the puck did, um, if that, you know, but it turned out that it was inconclusive. So I feel like um, if you're going to make, like, yeah, I get it. If you're going to call offsides, fine. But you have to, like, it has to be, like, make sure that it's, like, at least, like, 10 seconds. Like, if it's 10 or more seconds before, you shouldn't be able to challenge. I think that's yeah. a fair rule. Exactly. It's, it's, it's almost like the coaches are putting these in their back pockets just like, okay, if something happens, 
we reviewed this. Yeah. And of course, you know, because a goal is scored, that's the only reason we're talking about it. If a goal wasn't scored, no one would give a damn. Right. Exactly. Although I think, well, it's a coach's challenge. It's not like the refs actually do it, but yeah, you're right. Um, that's true. Yeah. Um, now, uh, you, you talk, you talk about the grand scheme of things. I, ju- I just want to, uh, unless, uh, do, do you have anything down on the offside? Cause I was just thinking about, um, well, like I was how the go Pens to the got to where three. they are at this point in the series. But if, if you want any last minute comments, by all means, make I was going to recap game three, but we still have to play. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So uh, in, in game two, the Pens again, get outshot 38 to yeah. 27. Um, they go 0 for 7 on the power play. Uh, the one thing that went right for them is that in a short period of time, they were able to get a ton of goals. And in yeah. game one, we saw it. They opened the scoring at 15-32, 65 seconds later, they make it 2 nothing. 3.06 after that, 17 seconds left in the period, they make it 3 nothing. So, um, in a span of 4.11, they scored three goals. And in game yeah. two... Tied at one heading into the third. Ten seconds in, Gensel gets his second of the game, third of the series, 12th of the playoffs. 3-0-3 after the Omaha product made it a 2-1 game. Pens score again. It's 3-1. 15 seconds after that, 4-1 Pens. Pecorine is pulled from the game after four goals on 25 yep. shots. Three goals in a span of 3-18. So that's how Pittsburgh was able to get. It's not that they were the better team, but just over a certain stretch of hockey, they were able to get so much offense. They were able to take advantage of so many opportunities. That was enough to give them the win. Yeah. And in the first two games, that's exactly what we saw. Pittsburgh taking advantage of a weak point in Nashville's game, and they exposed it, flat out exposed it. And it's just the fact that everyone on Nashville, um, and we're, we're going to talk about this in game three, but everyone in Nashville, the stars of Nashville weren't pulling their weight. Right. And, and Pittsburgh uh, – like, even their role players were pulling their weight. You look at Chris Kunitz, didn't have a single goal since February prior to his two-goal game against the Sens in Game 7. Four assists in the first two games of the Stanley Cup Finals leads the team. And then you look at Nick Bonino, who has two goals. Matt Cullen, who has two assists. And you look at the fact only three players on the Penguins roster haven't registered a point entering Game 3 of the Stanley Cup Finals. And one of them is Patrick Hornquist, who is arguably one of their better all-around players. Yep. And that, again, attests to their level of experience. You have over 150 games of Stanley Cup Finals experience on that Penguins team. The Preds only have five, and all of that is held by Mike Fisher. So even though the Preds did everything right, it was Pittsburgh who was able to just bear down and take advantage of the opportunities that they got. And... Um, of course, the big stat is Matt Murray, yep. who, with that win, has 20 playoff victories, six of them in the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, and it should be noted that he's just the third goalie to win his 20th playoff game in 28 appearances. The other two, Bill Dernan, 1944 to 1947, and Patrick Waugh from 86 to 88. That's some elite company there. Yep. And it, it, it again, it just goes to show you how deadly this Penguins team is. They can beat you in a bunch of different ways. Um, Nashville also uh, had way more shots on Pit than Pittsburgh did in Game Two. Um, thir- the Nashville yes. had thirty-eight shots. Uh, Pittsburgh had twenty-seven. Um, so that yeah, was they had a- thirty-one. They yeah. had thirty-one after two as well. 
That was another game where this was another game where the Predators should have won if it wasn't for those like those barrage of goals in the third period. Yeah, those short sequences yeah. we keep talking about. Absolutely, exactly. that would that was. Um, at this point, I kind of I was thinking that like like if the because uh, the I mean we were going to get into this um, with Pecorine. There was like some talk about like if you put Pecorine in for Game Three because. Clearly, he hasn't been the same since, and you know, UC Saros is supposedly the better one. But um, so they, the Predators, went with a Pecorine for Game Three, um, and it kind of helped out for them. Um, it it worked. Uh, so uh, I guess it wasn't really serious because you know Pecorine deserves to uh, get a, uh, at least some respect in that regard, but. Um, I had a feeling, though, like, if, if the Penguins had this barrage in, like, the first period of goals, then the, uh, then they would have taken Rene. He was, like, uh, taking Rene out. I have He was, like, um, you know, he had a short leash on him in that sense. But uh, that didn't happen, though. Uh, although, in the first period, Jake Gensel gets another goal again. Um Within the first few minutes as yeah, well. Yeah, within the first few minutes. And I remember thinking, like, oh, that's, like, oh, it's going to be one of these games where the Penguins are just yeah. going to get another goal, like, here we go again, kind of thing. But that didn't happen. Um, the second period, it was the Predators who had a barrage of goals. Um, the uh, Roman Yossi got got it going. Um, and then uh, then Frederick Goudreau, no relation to Johnny Goudreau, um, he's scoring like him though. He is scoring like him though. Um, but like a minute after Roman Yossi scored and then James Neal got, got one a little bit later at the end of the second period. So it's three, one at, uh, after the second period. And then, then it's, things start to get really chippy. Um, I'm just looking at the box scores here and there's like, like tw- maybe like 20 penalties in the third period. Um, <laughs> But penalty we'll, minutes probably yeah. for each team. But. Yeah, no, it's like uh, like Ekholm got a ten minute misconduct. Hornquist got a ten minute misconduct. Uh, Kunitz also got a ten minute misconduct. Cullen and Watson got a ten minute misconduct. Just a lot of miscon unsportsmanlike conduct from James Neal. No surprise there. Um, but uh, anyway, so the uh, third period, Craig Smith gets a breakaway goal. Um, and, uh, Matthias Eichholm also scores to make it 5-1, um, to end that game, but it was just very chippy, I remember you were, um, like, Kessel gets a, like, starts, um, slashing people, I forget who, but I remember there was something like that. Uh, I think it was Matt Irwin who checked Matt Cullen and and Kessel didn't like that, so he gave him a cross check, and, and that starts a scrum there. And uh, and I guess uh, Subban and Crosby, I guess we're chatting it up a little bit. At uh, one point, Crosby and Malkin were were in the penalty box as well. Um, so yeah, absolutely, the tensions were running high in this yep. game. They were even running high in game two. We saw Colin and Ekholm uh, yapping at each other. Kunitz and Subban, they um, they had a sequence of events there uh, in game two. So. Um, the, the hate for these teams is very much alive and well yep, in, exactly. in this period. And, uh, I, I think Nashville, more than anything, was trying to feed off the, the energy of the crowd. Like The Nashville yep. crowd was 
absolutely bonkers. And yeah, they, like upper bowl seats started as low as nine hundred bucks. Lower bowl seating starting as high as four grand per ticket. Um, a lot of people pay good money to 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 watch this game, and yep. it was just a crazy atmosphere there. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Nashville has always been a hockey city. It's just now it's like in full force or in full view now. Yeah, now everyone knows. Yeah, now everyone knows. Um, yeah, you were talking about the crowd. The uh, it was a funny uh, chant they had uh, when uh, after the the second period, uh, they started yelling at Murray that it was all their it's all his fault, all his fault. Yeah, it's all your fault. Uh, chant from uh, him uh, to him, which I thought was funny. Um, also, so this uh, this win marks. Uh, this was the Predators' first Stanley Cup final win in franchise history, and it's also uh, Pekka Rene's first ever win against the Penguins in his career. Um, so that's that's a pretty cool stat. Um, it's kind of funny that it happened in a Stanley Cup final game like that. But um, yeah, so um, so in the three games that played. Um, yeah, it's, the home team has won. I don't think it, it's definitely not over um, for either team. I feel like the home the home games. Oh, let's actually. I feel like the uh, Predators played better. Um, it's just that the Penguins kind of got lucky in Game One. Yeah, they were opportunistic. Yeah. absolutely. So, I I still think this is gonna. I'm gonna still say that it's Predators in seven. Um, do you want to change your predictions or no? Well, I, I'm just taking a look at and just a good omen for for Pecorine. I mean, yep. three and zero in game threes this year, only giving up four goals. Um, and he, I guess, it's now five goals in four games, and he's four and zero in game threes. Right. Um, but he stepped up big time. He made some big saves. Stopped 27 of 28 shots uh, in the first two games. Pittsburgh ten giveaways combined. They had 12 in Game 3, and one of them resulted in the Craig Smith breakaway goal. Kunitz turned it over there. Um, Forsberg, we're still waiting for him to show up. He has had he had no points in the Stanley Cup Finals heading into Game 3. James Neal had zero points in the Stanley Cup Finals. He got off the schneid there. Arvidsson's goalless in 15 straight games. Still waiting for him to show up. Um, but uh, you just look at... Uh, Nashville's offense really starting to come alive. I mean, Craig Anderson, uh, not Craig Anderson, Craig Smith getting his first of the playoffs. Yep. Uh, Yossi had three points. Ekholm had two. Um, interesting fact, the Preds became the third team in NHL history to ice four defensemen with 10-plus points. Only other teams, the 1984 Edmonton Oilers and the 1993 Los Angeles Kings. Uh, and uh, um, the uh, I believe Gretzky was on both of those teams. So mm-hmm. that's pretty high praise considering they don't have Wayne Gretzky on their team. So as far as momentum goes, especially considering the fact that they've held, that they were able to hold Crosby and Malkin both without a shot on goal in the same playoff game, first time that's ever happened. I think Nashville has a lot of momentum heading into game four. They're still in their own building which is huge for them. So I think they take game four. Um, we go into Pittsburgh. Um, I think Pens are going to take game five in OT, but they're going to lose game six, even though they love winning the cup on the road. They've never won it at home before. So if the Pens lose game six, I don't see them winning game seven. Now, 
if the Pens take game four, it's over in five. So regardless of who wins, um, I think game four, whoever wins game four is ultimately going to win the Stanley Cup in the long run. Uh, um, you look at the Penguins, 97 to 57, they've been outshot in the first three games. They've given up four power play goals on 10 penalty kill attempts, one for 13 with the extra man. If they have any hope of winning this series, their special teams needs to really step it up. Um, but all in all, I think it's really a coin toss at this point. Nashville's got all the momentum, but I also think um, the the Pens, and I believe the stat is they're 13-2 and two when following a loss this year. Um, it's not going to be easy to get another victory against Pittsburgh, especially back-to-back victories, but I certainly think this press team, given what they did in Game 3, they're certainly capable of uh, stealing another one. Yeah, um... Yeah, I don't think it's over by any stretch. So, and I, I think like the, I think the Predators will take Game Four, um, but we'll see. Um, do you think they'll win the Cup though? If they win Game Four, do you think they win the Cup? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think. See, the thing is, is I, I think Game One was a bit of an aberration, and I think they yeah. can win on the road at least once. <laughs> um, if not Game Five, then definitely in game seven. So, um, so yeah, I think, I think the Predators have oddly been like the better team, even though it's just, it, it doesn't show on the scoreboard. Um, so it's just, they're getting more shots and, you know, something has to give with Matt Murray. So, um, there we go. Um, so speaking of that, Con Smythe, uh, we're going to do our Con Smythe predictions for if, uh, the Preds win, or if the Penguins win. Um, if the Penguins win, uh, it'll probably be, it should be Evgeny Malkin, although uh, Jake Gensel has been getting a lot of hype now with, um, he's the goal leaders, and we have to mention in all, I think he has like four goals in the in a three round, um, in the three games For so first far. three games, he has four goals, Gensel, yeah. yep. 13 goals, uh, the next closest is Malkin with 9 in the playoffs. Um, the thing with Gensel is that he was, uh, people were saying, like, he didn't show up at all in the uh, third round or the second round. Um, he, was, he was a pretty big deal in the first round, but um, whereas for Malkin, he was, you know, he's been phenomenal. He has 26 points, uh, 9 goals, and I guess... Uh, if I do the math correctly, that's seventeen uh, assists. Seventeen assists, right? Um, you know, so that's um, he should get it. Um, except I know that there's like maybe there's some like rush anti-Russian bias here in Smythe, because I know like only like four guys do it or something. It's something weird like that, where like seven people, media members, vote for him. Um, but it should be Malkin. He deserves they got one for each game or something. Or yeah, I don't know exactly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that is a good point. I think it's just media members who have like followed, um, who are following just the Cup Finals. But there's a lot of like recency bias. So if Gensel wins, it's all because of that. It's just because he's had a great uh, Stanley Cup Final. But if Malkin wins, it's you know it should be Malkin because he's had a better playoffs overall. Um, he's been the more he's been the more consistent yeah. of the two, like you said, Jake Gensel. He was almost a healthy scratch in Game One, from what I heard. Right, and that's when he really started to pick it up. In between there, 
he was really starting uh, to slump a little bit as far as goal scoring, and that's yeah. all he's known for is goal scoring. Malkin does a bunch of things the right way. Right. Um, Jake Gensel's had a lot of chances, but again, people forget that you know Malkin and Crosby are the guys driving the bus, and this year it's been Malkin. Right. So I really think he's been the more consistent threat. I think he should get it. The only other guy that I see um, getting it uh, for Pittsburgh is Matt Murray because everyone remembers, well, you know, you're not in this position without Marc-Andre because he came yeah. in when Matt Murray was hurt. And, yeah, he played well for them. But after that off game against the Sens in Game 3, Matt Murray comes in in Game 4. He's been nothing short of consistent ever since. He stopped 211 of 227 shots in just seven games. He's constantly yeah. making the timely saves when the Pens need it the most. So unless he's particularly brutal and the Pens still find a way to win this thing, I see him as the front runner. Malkin obviously is going to be in the conversation. He should be in the conversation. The only way Gensel wins is if he continues on this torn pace and gets like 10 goals in the Stanley Cup Finals alone. Yeah. That's the only way I see Gensel winning. Him. Yeah, I, I see that. But I he's getting a lot of hype for whatever reason. But for Matt Murray, I feel like just the fact that he didn't even play the two, the first two rounds, kind of just yeah. makes it and that's like, probably the knock against him. Makes absolutely. it null for it at all. Like obviously he's been great. He's been great in the regular season too. It's just um, you know I don't think he uh, he should get it because of that. Um, for the Predators, if they were to win, um, I guess you have to give it to. Pekarine, although he's struggled the first two games in this series, um, I think otherwise, it, and it really depends on who steps up. Like, if Philip Forsberg steps up, then I think he does get it, because I think he's the point leader for Nashville, um, all things considered. Um, I might, like, even give it to, like, a guy like Roman Yossi. Um, he has 14 points for a defenseman. Yeah. So that would be interesting. Um uh, 14 and 19 like you just give like you give credit to like the defenseman so the the highest defenseman the most points that the Nashville defenseman has so if Roman Yossi has more points than say like Ryan Ellis does um, by the end of this then you give it to Roman Yossi but if Ryan Ellis surpasses Yossi then you get him you know you pick Ryan Ellis instead just because so the highest scoring defenseman or Pecorino yeah basically uh, just because I feel like the defenseman is the reason why the Predators are in this place to begin with. Um, and Roman, outside of Rene, yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. outside of Rene, of course. So I feel like that's what you what they should do. Um, and Forsberg, I guess, has a chance, but as he hasn't stepped up yet. So um, he has to get going um, if he wants to get that consummate. Um yeah, I don't know. If I think if Pecorino is the Pecorino of old, he gets it. Yeah. Uh, but if they if they win and he, but if if they win and he and he's just looked ordinary, I don't think he gets it. Yeah. Uh, but if he's able to really bounce back and really hold the fort in net, I I don't see anyone else but Pecorino winning it. If he'll probably go to a defenseman, probably Yossi's my guess at this point. If he doesn't yeah. get it. Okay. Yeah, I was about to ask like if you if he is ordinary, who do you, who gets it? Um. Yeah, I guess it all depends on who gets the big goals, right? Um, which I guess, yeah. is, I guess is why people think uh, it should be Gensel because he had that game-winning goal um, in Game One, um, and then he also, you know, got things going um, in Game Two. So 
Um, and, and there was a point where he scored three of the Penguins' last four goals. Yeah. So there's there's no I doubt mean, that uh, he yeah. that he deserves the attention that he's getting. But I don't think it's not Smythe worthy. Not Smythe worthy. Let's go to the rapid fire. Uh, the uh, Canucks GM Jim Bain uh, announced that Jacob Markstrom will be the starter eventually next season. Um, they also get a second rounder from Columbus for John Tortorella, um, uh, him going there. Uh, so this is a little interesting, too, uh, because, uh, let's see, I'm just going to state off this fact. So Markstrom versus Ryan Miller. Uh, Markstrom played 26 games. Uh, he had a GAA of 2.63, a save percentage of 910 as opposed to Ryan Miller, who played 54 games uh, with a 2.8 GAA and a 9.14 save percentage. Um, I should also mention that Ryan Miller is a UFA. He's also 36 years old. Jacob, Jakob, I don't know if it's Jacob or Jacob or Jakob or whatever. Markstrom is uh, 27 and has a few years left on his contract. So, to me, it makes sense that Markstrom would be the starter. I don't know necessarily if he'll be good right away, but at the same time, the Canucks are fully in rebuild mode anyways, um, so it's not really going to matter if he's good or not right now. Um, I think it's a smart move. Uh, Ryan Miller isn't necessarily good right now, um, even if they do decide to keep him. Um and, you know, he's 36 years old. That's not great. Um, you know, he's basically almost 40. Um, and he could, you know, he hasn't been as good as he has been, in, like, when he was on Buffalo, per se. Um, so, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I, think it's a, I think it's a good move. But I think you're going to differ on this. I remember you said something about it off the air. Well, um, uh, f- first off... Um, the former second-round pick of the Florida Panthers, um, prior to his career-best 13 victories and 33 appearances a year ago, he had 51 NHL appearances in his first five seasons combined. His workload's been better. You're right. He's showing signs of being the number one goalie they expect him to be. Ryan Miller, as you as you said, comes July 1st. He's a UFA. Uh, in his first year with the Canucks, he posted a 29-15-1 record and a 2.53 GAA. But since then, a record of 35, 53, and 15, and his GAA has been above 2.70 in both of his last two years. Um, now, to be fair, Jim Benning backtracked a little bit. He said this transition may not happen as soon as opening night, but expects it to happen at some point uh, in the next year. It should also be noted that Markstrom's about to start a new three-year deal that's going to pay him roughly $3.67 million per season. So they have him under contract. They don't have Miller under contract. And it's, it's, it's clear that, and Benning has said this, they're talking to Ryan Miller's agent, they're talking with Ryan Miller, and seeing if they can get him to come back. So I guess the assumption is if he does come back, it's going to be as a plan B. Now, I do believe Markstrom deserves an opportunity to be the starter. He's the younger of the two, obviously. I think they're wise to keep Miller around, however, or at least get a veteran backup that could step up uh, and step in at a moment's notice. Because, like I said, Markstrom's had a lot of hype to him. 
uh, from the day he was drafted. He had a lot of hype to him. But he's never been a starter at this level. We don't know if he's going to be 100% healthy this year because anything can happen throughout the season. They don't have a plan B that's ready to go in their farm system. I mean, you look at Richard Bachman, yeah, posted respectable numbers. That was only in five NHL games this year. Uh, you look at their top goalie prospect, Thatcher Demko. Uh, he went 62, 26, and 10 in three seasons with Boston College. GAA below 2.30 in all three of those years. Uh, and then in 45 games with the AHL's Utica Cots this year, he gets a 2.68 uh, GAA. Um, but he needs to get more experience in the AHL before he makes that jump to the NHL. And in my opinion, a very talented goalie like Demko, you can't rush him into a situation where he could be the starter if Markstrom struggles or gets hurt. Because right. even if this team is going nowhere... We saw what happened with Jakob in Florida. I really think they rushed him too soon. Uh, that's why they ended up trading him. You look at the Canucks history of goalies that they've traded, Roberto Luongo, Corey Schneider, Eddie Lack, in particular Luongo and Schneider. A lot of really good goalies have walked away from the Canucks organization. They cannot afford to drop the ball on Thatcher Demko. Yep. So if they don't bring Ryan Miller back, bring in a veteran with experience that can be thrusted into a starting position if needed. Because they do not have a plan B in their system right now. They also have Richard Bachman, who... Uh, as as I mentioned, yes, but he only played five games last year. True. I mean, but like that would count as a veteran. But yeah, you're right. Uh, they do need... You know, Thatcher Jemko is important to the Canucks organization. And he's not ready yet. I don't think anyone is expecting yeah. him to be ready yet. Um, so, but yeah, if... Yeah, you're right. If he um, he should be, um, you know, I guess that's that's fair. He shouldn't be a backup right away, um, but they should expect to get someone. It doesn't have to be Ryan Miller, but um, it should be someone like some backup that's not Badger Demko. Um, and, and like Brian Elliott, he's yep. a pending UFA. I doubt they get him if they're going to name Markstrom the star. But Chad Johnson's also a pending UFA. He could be a possibility yep. to come in if Miller doesn't come back. Mark but, Andre Fleury, maybe. Um, yeah, maybe if it's for a short term. But um, yep. a, a, again, if they're expecting Markstrom to be a, a goalie, a veteran backup that has starters experience uh, is probably the best way that they're going. And like you said, it doesn't matter if it's a good veteran backup or not because, like you said, they're t they should be in rebuild mode right now. No one's really expecting much of Vancouver this year yeah. or in the years ahead. So it doesn't have to be a good veteran backup, but you need a good veteran that can potentially be a starter when called upon. Yep. Uh, Valerie Nichushkin, um, who is the Dallas Stars forward, he's he was playing in the KHL. Um According to the uh, Stars Director of Amateur Scouting, Joe McDonald, he says that he is in Russia now, and it's 50-50 on whether we get him back next season, and, they, and it will be up to him if he wants to come back. Um, I remember he, um, I think there was a, re the reason why he even moved to KHL was because he uh, had uh, issues with uh, Lindy Ruff, and now that he's no longer the coach there, you know, who knows, maybe he'll be good here. Um, he played well with the Sa with Sagan and Ben um, his rookie year. He had 34 points in 79 games. 
um, which I guess isn't great, but not terrible either. Um, and then, you know, he kind of got injured, and then he uh, his second season, and then he had 29 points in 79 games his last year in Dallas. Um, in the KHL, he had 24 points in 36 games in Siska uh, um, Moscow. I guess he has one year left on that contract, but... Um, so it would be cool if, uh, if Nishushkin comes back to Dallas, but I guess it's really up to him. Yeah, um, and I think if he does come back to Dallas, I think it, it makes it all the more sense to trade that top three pick and get yep. some veteran defensive help because Nishushkin is really a, a guy that fits into their system right away. He doesn't need any grooming or whatsoever. He's an NHL now ready kind of player. So um, I, I really think if he comes back to Dallas, I think I think you will see them trade their top three pick. Yeah, I could see that happening, but that has to happen. Like he has to decide like right away because the draft. Yeah, exactly. So it, it it it's all in the timing, I guess, as to what yeah. they do with that. True. Um, and then uh, yeah, uh, I guess that's it for them. Uh, Tampa Bay uh, gets the 2018 NHL All-Star Game. Not a huge news, except for the fact that this means that the Olympics are less likely to, or the you know, the NHL is less likely to go to the Olympics. Um, Bettman even said that there's no possibility that the Olympics thwart the 2018 All-Star Game. So even if they do somehow get a deal in place, um, the this All Star Game's still going to happen somehow. So uh, <laughs> and it's a pipe dream, I think, at this yeah. point if they go to the Olympics because they really yeah. have to murder their schedule, like back to back galore to fit Unless the All Star like, Game buys, and the yeah. Olympics at the same time. Like that's yeah. I, like they don't have the All Star Game and Olympic year for a reason. Yep. And I think the really the final nail in the coffin is if they don't get a deal done by the time they release their schedule, then there's no turning back at that point. Yep. But, I mean, it's like it's a lost cause at this point for anyone. Yeah. It's unfortunate. On the bright side, they, they couldn't have picked a better venue. I think Tampa really fits the bill. Yeah, uh, it should be exciting. Um, yeah. Uh, also, Bettman said that uh, Leafs, the Toronto Maple Leafs and the uh, Washington Capitals are playing, getting an outdoor game at the Navy Academy uh, next season. Uh, Bettman said that it will be the start of more games at a military venue. I'm okay with this. This is kind of cool. I don't know if you've ever watched like Army Navy football games. Um, they're pretty exciting. Like fans get the fans get really into it. Um, it's kind of cool. Uh, so this should be fun. Uh, the only thing I'll say is I'm not sure why Toronto is in it other than Austin Matthews. Um, I kind of wanted to see like maybe another. Um, U.S. team, if you're going to go all, like, military on this, you know. But um, it's still pretty cool. That I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to this more than even the Winter Classic, which is weird. But um, Well, you, you look at um, the the rivalry they just went through in the playoffs, like five of six games decided yep. in overtime, all of them pretty much by a goal. And um, um, in my opinion, I think these are two teams that could be jockeying for position in the standings, maybe even the top seed in the Eastern Conference. So I think the plan is there's going to be a lot on the line between these two teams late in the season. And so not only do you get entertaining hockey, you 
a lot of the, these two teams are going to be battling potentially for a huge two points in the standings. So I think this is a perfect time to have this team. Um, now, that being said, this is the third time in the last five years and the second year in a row where the Leafs have been involved in an outdoor game. And you're just kind of like rolling your eyes and like, really, they get another one yeah. now? <laughs> like, how many more can you give them, Batman? Jeez. Well, I mean, that's just, I mean, at least it's not like the Blackhawks or the Penguins. Um, no, well, but, the Leafs are an easy draw. I mean, yeah. it, 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 if they win, they're fun to watch. If they lose, you just point and laugh at them. Yeah, true. I just don't know if it's like, as opposed to like an American team, I don't know. Um, yeah. that, that's well, my they're, only they're, thing. They're, they're, trying, they're trying something new, and I think the, the, the military idea, it's, it's, it's a good idea because yeah. the traditional stadium series kind of thing, they need to put a new twist on that because yeah. it's just like, oh, yay, another stadium game. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, like, Austin Matthews, I guess, if Austin Matthews wasn't on the Leafs, I don't think the Leafs would be in here. Um, yeah, they have a lot of, they all have a lot of talent. I, I think that's probably why they keep including them. Yep. Uh, well, no, I was saying because he's American, but yeah. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> that, true. <laughs> that, that was more the thing, not just because they're talented. Um, rumored, uh, so here's some rumors here. The Blackhawks have a deal with the Golden Knights. Um, well, they were in to. talks with the Golden Knights. I don't think they have a deal. They were in talks with the Golden Knights right. about this possibility. We should mention that this it was, is... It was, report, it was reported by TSN of the Hockey News, so it's legit. Yeah. We should mention that this is all rumor, so... Um, yeah, nothing's been done, but it's been talked about. Right. So the, uh, the Knights will take Marcus Kruger's salary in exchange for the Knights to not take uh, Trevor Van Riemsdyk in the expansion draft. Um, as you know, I think the Blackhawks have, like, six uh, no-movement clauses for their players, um, and uh, and so TVR will probably be exposed um, in exchange for they'll probably, like, take a guy like Panic or Hart, Ryan Hartman or someone like that. Um, because of course, so now it's, it, what, what's interesting is, um, you, you wonder just how good this team is going to be. Like, are they going to yep. use the salary cap to their advantage in the long term? Like Arizona's done in the past couple of years, yep. they took on Datsuk's contract and Bolin's and Chris Pronger's, or are they going to pick the best p- talent available and be as competitive as they can right off the hop? And it's really going to be interesting how they, um, yeah. how they formulate their team in the coming weeks. Yep. Um, also, speaking of that, so first the uh, Las Vegas gets a uh, signs their third player, Thomas Heike, who's a Czech player. He's an okay guy. I don't know. I don't expect him to be too uh, like to be uh, too good next year, but we'll see. Um, yeah, and- he, he doesn't have as much hype as Shipachov does, but. 36 goals and 78 points in, in three years in the Czech League. That's not too bad. Yep. Also, we played two years with the Gatineau Olympics in the Q League, uh, chalking up 64 points and 24 goal, uh, 64 points and 20 goals. Sorry, in his first year, 54 points and another 20 goals in his second year. So a decent prospect, but a home run prospect probably not. Also, so uh, also it turns out the dra- the expansion draft will be on the same day as the awards. Um, and apparently what they're going to do is they're going to announce an award, and then they're going to announce the five players uh, that Vegas selected. Um, they're going to do it that way. 
Um, and then, so my pipe dream of someone winning yeah. a award in Vegas and then getting selected by Vegas isn't dead yet. Nope, but it's unlikely to happen. Highly unlikely, I know. Um, <laughs> also, Adidas is going to unveil all 31 Adidas jerseys that day as well. So a lot of things are going to happen on the 21st of June. Um, so look forward to a that. A lot of things are going to happen after the cup is won, frankly. Let's That's be honest true, here. true. Yeah, because Mark Andre Fleury us, needs a, to be traded, right? Things for us to report on. Yeah, my, exactly. My head's gonna be... Um, Sean Thornton is the. Uh, it's, I was just reading this article here. It's they say Bruins legend Sean Thornton. Oh my, it's a, it's a little <laughs> bit of a stretch here. Uh, he's the uh, Florida Panthers VP of Business Operations. Um, I think that he was like I knew he was retired. Um, and I think he was leaning towards a hockey position. So this isn't too surprising, but um, it's kind of cool that like a tough guy gets a position like this So um, <laughs> in the business operation. Um, but uh, we'll see if it works out for him or not. But uh, yeah. uh, good for, there, there, good for there Sean are, Thornton. There are a, yeah, absolutely. There are a lot of coaching and executive moves. Um, Anaheim Ducks, Randy Carlisle gets a two-year extension, uh, got – the Ducks a division title and a trip to the Western Conference Finals in his first year back with the club. Also has an option for the 2019-2020 season. Assistant coach Paul McLean, meanwhile, has parted ways with the organization after two years. Uh, in Minnesota, Scott Stevens is out after one year due to personal reasons. And in another edition of What World Are We Living In, Scott Gomez is an assistant coach with the New York Islanders. That's kind of funny. That news is kind of funny because he, you know, he was... He's famous for being a Devils, and he was also on the Rangers for a bit, too. It's just, like, funny that now he's on another team that's rivals to both the Rangers and the Devils. So, uh, that's kind of The only thing that'd be funnier is if he was named head coach of the Sabres. Wait, why? Because, you know, if if you're going to talk about, like, New York area teams, I guess you throw Buffalo in there, right? Right, uh, yeah, that's true. I I didn't know where you were going with that, but yeah, that's true. Plus, it's the Sabres, you know? If, like, I, they, they fire Dan Files, but yeah. Scott Gomez is their right. guy. You know, can you not laugh at that? True. I, I, I forget sometimes that Buffalo is a part of New York. Um, <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah. It, I, it feels like a part of Canada, or it's like its own country, its own state, yeah. you know? I don't know. Just just like, <laughs> maybe maybe kind of like Seattle is, is well, it's like it's in Washington, but it's close enough to Vancouver where right. it's just like, yeah, it's close enough to Canada, right? It's because it's so different from New York City that I, like, when I yeah, think of New York, I think of New York City. I don't think of New York, the state, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's unique in its own way. Exactly, yeah. Um, Memorial Cup, uh, Windsor Spitfires win. They beat the Erie Otters. Uh, you have something on this, I would imagine. I got, I got a lot on this, and I said the only the only team that could challenge the Erie Otters was the Windsor Spitfires, and the Windsor Spitfires end up winning it all. Um, they were the, the ones who was, hosted, right? Windsor hosted it, yes. Which is kind of um, funny, too. Yeah. yeah. And you would it, think it was, that was, the hosted team would never win, but I guess they won. Yeah, well, it's happened before. In 2012, Shawinigan won it in double OT, I believe, over London. Oh, wow. Very good team. So, um, the, the, the host team, uh, not always terrible, believe it or not. They're, yeah. they're usually pretty competitive. And the first, it was even at one. Erie outshot Windsor 13 to 12. Second period of play. OHL champs started to pull away. They outshot the Spitfires 22 to 10 the rest of the game. 
once again, Mike DiPietro, I said if the Spitfires were going to win, he was going to need to be huge. Timely save after timely save, he gets it done. The seesaw battle continued all the way into the third period, and a guy named Aaron Luchuk made it 4-3 to three for the hosts. Uh, and in the dying minutes, they were able to preserve their third Memorial Cup uh, in less than 10 years. Um, and their 12-game winning streak in the Memorial Cup is now tied for the longest with the Cane Loose Blazers in Memorial Cup history. Um, it should also be noted in the final 10 shots the Spitfires took, they scored three times, so they pulled a Pittsburgh, I guess. Um, the interesting storyline at the end of the game, Erie Otters captain Dylan Strom said, quote, it's the same as the World Juniors. You need a shootout to decide a world champ. Here you have three championship teams and a host. So I get the disgust you feel when the host team who didn't win a darn thing all year beats you twice and wins the big title that everyone fought to win. And they get a buy straight to the tournament. Their record's irrelevant. They could get swept in the first round for all we care. They could still get in. He brings, a good, uh, he brings up a good point. How in the world is that fair? I have two rebuttals to this argument. If you rotate venues year after year and you don't include the host team, good luck trying to fill that rink every night. Because you're renting space, you're not giving the host city anything to cheer about if you leave them out of it. Yeah, that's true. And that doesn't help grow your brand whatsoever. Um, secondly, and most importantly, this Windsor squad was just as good as the Otters were. In fact, they were better than all three teams record-wise in this round-robin stage. Um, the top goalie in this year's draft, Michael DiPietro is on their team. In my opinion, he's the top goalie in this year's draft. Uh, Logan Brown and Mikhail Sergachev, they were drafted in the NHL's top 10 in 2016. This year, Gabe Velarde is likely a top 5, if not a top 10 pick. Logan Stanley is a promising prospect for the Jets. Graham Knott, Blackhawks second rounder 2015. Julius Natanen has some upside with the Ducks as well moving forward. It's not like... Winter didn't win the bid and didn't try to improve this group because they did some significant tweaking throughout the season to make their lineup better. And they had to sacrifice some of their future to make it all happen. And I get why some might not like this idea of including the hosts, but the Windsor Spitfires deserve to be here. They're champs for a reason, and they're champs because they played so well. Um, just taking a look at some of the notable players, Leafs prospect Jeremy Bracco led the Spits with eight points. Dylan Strom, Taylor Radish, and Alex DeBrinkett all recorded ten or more. Uh, Strom got the Memorial Cup MVP. Um, taking a look, they showed. At, I remember they showed the uh, a picture of Strom winning that award. I think we showed yeah. it on the Facebook. He did not look happy. No, he did not. Yeah. He did not look happy at all. Uh, taking a look at Sens prospects, Logan Brown at five points in four games, fourth highest on Windsor. Thomas Shabbat, two goals and four points in four games with the Sea Dogs. For your Bruins, Jacob Zaborl, uh, also a fixture on the Sea Dogs back end, two assists in four games for him. Uh, Erie was the only team to have multiple players with 20 plus shots in the tourney. Uh, they had three of them. Strom was one of them. He had 30 or more shots on goal. Uh, Windsor defenseman Sean Day, the first exceptional player to win the Memorial Cup, believe it or not. Connor McDavid did not win a Memorial Cup because he never played in one. Um, the OHL has won the last three Memorial Cups with the last two hailing from the Mighty Western Conference. Won it, uh, uh, the, guy, the team that won it all a season ago in Red Deer was the London Knights. And um, with a 44-day layoff, the longest in Memorial Cup history... The Windsor Spitfires only trailed for three minutes and four seconds the entire tournament. Wow. 
That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I guess the uh, the uh, the hosted team dominated there. Yeah, well, they, they did better than a lot of people expected, and they also had time to rest up their guys, which probably also maybe ticked off Dylan Strom a little bit because, you know, they're banged up. You know, they went through right. all the trials and tribulations. Meanwhile, these guys are just watching games at home, you know, and preparing. Right. But I still stand by my argument, though. Windsor deserved to be here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, if they won that handily, they of course they deserve yeah. to be there. You can't, you can't take that away. And they, yeah. they were just so pumped like that. Just the best part is seeing the fans just getting to, to celebrate that with them as well. It's, it's pretty great. Um, to, uh, speaking of CHL news, uh, the QMJHL had their draft. Uh, Rimowski Oceanics, which uh, was Sidney Crosby's team, uh, got a um, gets uh, the first overall pick. Um, it's a guy, Alexis Lafreniere. The only reason, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right. The only reason Lafreniere why Lafreniere maybe, yeah. but, uh, it, 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 if it's in Quebec, then it could be, uh, the way you pronounced it. So. Um, anyway, the only reason why I'm mentioning this here is because he's supposedly the best, um, he's the best prospect the, uh, uh, the Q has seen since Crosby. Uh, he had 83 points in 36 games um, in the QMAAA, which whatever that is. I guess that's the Quebec Minor Amateur League. Um, I think it's probably midget, midget AAA. Yeah, but like uh, I think he was supposedly he had he was like close to Mario Lemieux's record when he was in that league too. Uh, so he's drawing comparisons to both Crosby and Lemieux. So this is a guy that you should uh, pay attention to. Apparently, he's draft eligible in 2020. So you have some time if you want to uh, do it. But people, I guess people are excited about him. So we'll see. Yeah, it, for a guy that was only four or five when Crosby was playing with the Ramuski Oceanic, that's yeah. pretty nuts to they see also, that he's doing all this. Uh, Second-year yeah. Bantam AAA, 35 goals, 69 points. Only took him 26 games to do that. Yep. This year, as you mentioned, first season of major AAA, uh, a midget AAA, I should say. And he gets 33 goals and 83 points in just 36 games. Um, Ramuski, once again, they have a long, they have a long list of notable NHL alumni. Brad Richards and Vinny LeCavalier also played for the Oceanic before they turned pro as well. Yeah. So perhaps this is the perfect place for Lafreniere to perfect his NHL dreams and make them a reality. So uh, yeah. it'll be interesting to see how he does. He could be a regular on uh, the World Juniors for Team Canada. You never know. Yep, it's true. Um, they also, like, I think they showed a picture, when he was drafted, they showed a picture of him in, a, like, a Ramuski jersey, because Crosby, yeah. like, he was, he idolizes Crosby, so that was pretty cool, too. Um, but, yeah, if he, if he's, uh, drawing comparisons to Crosby and Lemieux, um, he's probably, he's destined to be a penguin, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, they, they'd have to probably, I don't know, trade Crosby, or either... Take to oblivion. Well, they, it's Adam, 2020, right? so Crosby will be like 40 at this time, so um, <laughs> or like in the late 30s. Um, but yeah, uh, but that's something to look forward to. Uh, Bruin sends uh, for those people on fan listening on fan tracks. Uh, we usually uh, I like the Bru- my favorite team is the Bruins. Steve's favorite team is the Senators. Um, we're kind of. Die hard, we're not kind of. We are diehard fans here. Yeah. 
Um, so every week during the season, we just recap the week from our two teams. Um, but we kind of we mix and match when it, it's the off season. But it depends on if there's news or not. So uh, this week it happened to be that there are two there are news stories for both teams this week. So um, so that's why we have it here. Uh, Bruin um, and if. If you don't care about the Bruins or Senators, that's fine. Just uh, turn it off and delete it, whatever. Delete this episode. <laughs> um, Anders Bjork uh, finally got signed. Uh, he was the pro- – I think I've been talking about him for a while now. But he uh, he was on Notre Dame for a bit. Um, I think he had some Calder Cup nominations as well. Um, uh, he uh, – he was he had 52 points in uh, 39 uh, games uh, for Notre Dame. Um, so yeah, the, so the Bruins signed him for a uh, an, uh, an entry level deal. Um, there was like some rumors that he didn't sign right away, like um, James uh, Char- James McAvoy, Charlie McAvoy did, or uh, another uh, Jacob. Jakob Forsbacher Carlson did. Um, they signed right away, right after their season. Um, it took some time for Anders Bjork, but um, it's kind of cool that he uh, he signed with us now, so we don't have to worry about a Jimmy VC type situation again. Um, I I don't know if he'll be great a great pro, but he'll probably be. I would say he'll he's probably going to be like a top three, I mean, in a, in a, in a, th- a third line guy, possibly second line if he's good enough, but I think at most he'll be a, a third or fourth line guy for us. So, um, so it's exciting. Uh, we gotta, uh, hopefully he'll be good for us, but we'll see. Also in Bruins news, um, uh, it looks like David Pasternak and Sweeney are in talks. Um, it looks like something's going to happen. I, it looks like they might have a long-term deal with Pasternak, which would be great. Um, I can finally. I have a rule where I have to. I'm going to get a jersey of someone on if once they get like I know that they're going to be on the team for a long time. So I might actually yeah. get a pasta jersey, um, which is just a personal thing. Um, How many jerseys do you have? I, well, it's all started because I had a I had a Phil Kessel jersey, um, <laughs> and then I had a Tim Thomas jersey as well. Um, but ah. like, <laughs> and then I had like, and then after that, I was just like, all right, only players that I know are going to be on the team for a long time. So I got so now I, I also have a Chara jersey, and I think I have a Bergeron somewhere too, but. Um, yeah, I was about to say, Bergeron yeah. should probably be at the top of the list. Yeah, I kind of want to get a Marshawn jersey, too, at some point, too. But um, if Pasternak gets signed, I'll I'll get his jersey. Uh, you have you have my word here. Uh, you heard it here first. You, you, go to Bru- you go to Bruins games, I guess, once in a while. Uh, yep. When you go to Bruins games, what jersey do you bring? Um, usually, yeah, it's probably like a Chara jersey. Um, okay. If I can find a Bergeron, though, but yeah, it's it's probably a Charger jersey. Um, 
I, I, I kind of, I love Chara. I know not a lot. He's underappreciated here. That's kind of why I love. Uh, also, Linus Arneson. I'm not getting his jersey because he's going to Sweden instead of signing with the Bruins. Um, he was a second-round defenseman uh, from, like, I think 2014. Um, he, uh, yeah, so he's going to Sweden instead. Uh, this isn't too surprising. We have, for once, the, uh, the Bruins have a lot of defensemen in their farm, farm uh, system. So uh, this isn't a huge deal that he's not signing with us, but it's also kind of sad at the same time. Um, and speaking of the draft, the Bruins are not opposed to trading their first-round pick, um, which isn't a huge deal because this is supposedly a weak draft this year. But um, at the same time, it's uh, um, yep, they're trading. They might trade their first-round pick, which would be kind of weird considering two years ago when we traded Dougie Hamilton and Milan Lucic to have that uh, 13, 14, and 15 uh, pick. So um, you never know with Sweeney. Um, especially with drafts. So we'll see what happens there. Oh, yeah, now you can go All with right. your sense. Okay, because I have a lot to ram, ramble yeah. on about, so I just wanted to make sure you got your answer. No, no. It's, uh, uh, so, yeah. Um, since GM Pierre Dorian revealed the walking wounded to the media last Monday, on this list is Eric Carlson, who played through two cracks in his left heel. Did you also know he had muscle issues with his ankle? Probably I didn't. did not, no. Uh, but he did. Okay. Uh, Cody Cece played through a broken finger. It was re-injured numerous times over the course of the playoffs. Speaking of banged-up fingers, Mark Mathot's injury never fully healed. Mark Stone, who hadn't fully recovered from a knee injury, was also battling that. Uh, shocker to some was the fact that Craig Anderson was dealing with a back injury which was especially bad in round two versus the New York Rangers. Uh, Zach Smith and Victor Stolberg played through rib and abdominal injuries, which made it difficult for them to breathe, let alone play hockey. Uh, Mark Borowiecki and Alex Burroughs were dealing with high ankle sprains. Dion Phaneuf battled through a wrist injury. Uh, in the third period of Game 7 against Pittsburgh, Ryan DeSingle suffered a wrist injury. If the Sens made it to the finals, Ryan would have probably missed some time as well. And the one that will take the longest to recover from, uh, the long that take the longest to recover from, excuse my bad English, is the one that Derek Broussard suffered. He's got a torn labrum that requires surgery, and that will take four to five months um, worth of time to recover from. Not clear at this point if he'll be ready by opening night. Uh, we talked about Craig Anderson before. Um, he outlasted Robin Leonard. He outlasted Ben Bishop. He outlasted the Hamburglar for half a season. And he's not going to be exposed to Vegas because uh, with a year left on his current contract, Pierre Dorian confirms that he'll be protected by the Sens in the upcoming expansion draft. So well-deserved for Mr. Anderson. Um, as far as international news goes, Yerky Yoki Paka began his career in Dallas, traded to Calgary in the Chris Russell deal, acquired by the Sens in the Curtis Lazar deal, and now he's moving away from North America altogether which is probably a good thing because not that he's a bad player by any means. I think he's got upside to his game. If you look at Ottawa's defense, though, I doubt a guy like him finds any sort of ice time unless there's a series of injuries. Um, it was a numbers game, and I think for his career, he was wise to uh, head overseas. Uh, we look at Christian Yaros, a fifth-round pick by Ottawa in 2015. They signed him to an entry-level contract in the middle of last week. 
six foot three, two hundred and fourteen pounds. I think he brings a lot of size to the table. Not sure what to expect from him offensively, however, but he's got time to develop his game. Only twenty one years old. Uh, like I said, a lot of time to uh, better his craft. Um, but not sure if he's going to spend time in Belleville next year or if he's still going to be in overseas. But uh, I've heard that uh, he's going to be given an opportunity to make the big club. So we'll see how that goes. Um, and, yeah, that's it for uh, Sens News this week. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I guess it's not surprising that they're going to protect Craig Anderson um, instead of uh, Condon, but um, yeah, I guess they needed to make that news. Um, social media stuff. Lace M Podcast um, on Twitter. Uh, we also are on Facebook at just Lace Em Up. Uh, you can also email us at laceupbag at gmail.com. Uh, you're probably listening to this on SoundCloud. Um, just search Lace Them Up if you're not. Um, or you can subscribe on iTunes at Lace Them Up on iTunes there. Just search that too. Um, and you're also on fa- fan tracks too, so uh, that's exciting as well. Um, I think that's it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 80, where we'll probably have a Stanley Cup winner. Yep. That's next time on the Lace Them Up podcast.